Brandon Clark has a great opportunity start for the Memphis Grizzlies to begin the 22-23 season, which could lead to a very nice contract extension. More on the 26-year-old's upcoming NBA season right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, today is another episode in our series discussing all of these Zags who are going to play in the NBA this upcoming season. There are so many of them these days, an incredible testament to what Mark Few and the development staff have done at Gonzaga the last few years. Today we're talking Brandon Clark, one of the greatest one-year wonders in Spokane history. He's entering his fourth NBA season for the Memphis Grizzlies. We're going to talk about his history, how he got here, how he's performed up to this point. In the first segment, segment two is going to be a look at his best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming season. Jaron Jackson Jr. is out for the first few months of the upcoming season, so we want to discuss what that might look like for Clark and how that could impact his role. And then in the third segment, we're going to talk about his expected role and more importantly, what his upcoming free agency might look like, some contract extension conversations, all of that good stuff. 30 minutes wrapped up Brandon Clark. We're going to start with his history. Clark, of course, did not originally start his college career at Gonzaga. He came out of high school in Arizona, went to San Jose State, spent his first two seasons in college with the Spartans down in the Bay Area. He averaged eight and a half points, five and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, and just over a block per game as a freshman. So a solid start to his career. Obviously, eight and five as a freshman is pretty good, but for him to have been a decent backup post at San Jose State to becoming what he became is still a tremendous story. I think we we talk so much about the Kelly Olynyk story. We've talked about a handful of other players and the development that they have gone through at Gonzaga. Shemek Karnowski from what he was as a freshman to as a senior. Sam Dower from what he was as a freshman to a senior. Uh, but Brandon Clark's story is a really remarkable one that I don't think gets enough coverage from from who he was as a freshman at San Jose State to who he became. So his second year at San Jose State, he really popped off. 17.3 points per game, 8.7 rebounds per game, 2.5 assists, 2.5 blocks per game as a sophomore. He's one of the best mid-major players in the entire country. He was an absolute machine at San Jose State. This is not a good basketball program at San Jose State. For, so for him to have really exploded the way that he did, he got a lot of attention, tons of of attention via the transfer portal or what was the wasn't called the transfer portal back then. Obviously, Clark was one of the last players who had to sit out a full season before those rules were updated to the point where players can transfer more freely nowadays. Clark ended up transferring to Gonzaga. He sat out during that 17-18 season, that really, really remarkable season for the Zags. Would have been incredible if Brandon Clark would have been able to to be on that roster, but of course that's not how the rules worked at the time. Uh, so after sitting out, he made a immediate impact in Spokane during the 2018-2019 season. Immediate impact is almost not enough to describe who Brandon Clark was in his one year at Gonzaga. He 
was one of the best college basketball players of the entire season and arguably one of the best college basketball players of the last decade based purely on this season alone. He was an absolute machine for the Zags. He was the starting center, 37 games played, 36 of them were starts. He averaged just over 28 minutes per night. Uh, Just a simple look at the box score, 16.9 points, 8.6 rebounds, 3.2 blocks, 1.9 assists, 1.2 steals per game. Stuff the stat sheet. If there was college basketball fantasy, college fantasy basketball, I'm sure there is in some capacity out there. Brandon Clark would have been a MVP. He would have been a league winner with those kinds of numbers. Did a little bit of everything. Two or more of points, rebounds, blocks, assists per game, over a steal per game. Really tremendous numbers from Brandon Clark. He set Gonzaga's single season block record, which has since been tied by, of course, the great Chet Holmgren. I don't know if anybody's going to touch that record that Clark and Holmgren now hold. It's kind of poetic in a way that the two of them are the people who hold that record as they're both very iconic defensive bigs at Gonzaga who only spent one year in Spokane, or one year playing, I guess, for Gonzaga. Brandon Clark was in Spokane for two years, but only on the court for one. Uh, Clark's numbers from an efficiency standpoint that season were just absolutely ridiculous. He shot 70.5% on two-pointers. Seven out of every 10 attempts inside the three-point line were going in for Brandon Clark. That is ridiculous. Drew Timmy didn't touch 70%, has not touched 70% on two-pointers. Brandon Clark did it. I mean, this is insane numbers of efficiency. He was only 26.7% from deep. The three-point shot has been a kind of an interesting dynamic in Brandon Clark's career up to this point. Uh, He was also just under 70% from the free throw line. So he shot 70.5% on just all two-pointers, but slightly less than that from the free throw line. That is unusual. You don't see that happen all that often, Uh, but that kind of emphasizes the anomaly that is Brandon Clark. Uh, frankly, he was pretty pretty similar to Zion Williamson. Of course, the Duke legend who played that his one season uh, at Duke was the same year uh, here, the 2018-2019 season. And obviously, Zion got all the attention. Understandably, he was a freshman. He's a high-level prospect. Uh, certainly hasn't reached his expectations in the NBA due to injuries, but was considered a generational-type talent. So, of course, he got the attention. That Duke team got a lot of attention because of him, because of Cam Reddish, because of R.J. Barrett. Uh, but, of course, Gonzaga beat them in Maui, the, one of the most iconic non-conference Gonzaga games, really of all time, certainly of the last five or so years. Uh, that game was absolutely tremendous. Brandon Clark had a huge role in that game as well. Never got the full attention that Zion Williamson did, at least from the press, from the media. Uh, for some understandable reasons, Clark was not as good of an NBA prospect as Zion. Despite having the the elite production, despite being at a high-level program like Gonzaga, he was an older prospect. He didn't have quite the physical gifts, although I think Brandon Clark is an elite, elite-level athlete. Uh, there's no shame in not quite having the same physical gifts as Zion Williamson because he is top 0.05% of human beings on the planet when he is healthy uh, in terms of his athleticism, his ability to be productive. Clark went into the NBA draft. There was concerns about his wingspan. This one of the numbers that seems to garner a lot of attention, particularly by armchair scouts, by people at home who can pretty easily look at a wingspan and determine whether that's good or bad. Uh, There's not a lot of nuance to that analysis. And unfortunately for Clark, the not acknowledging his 40 and a half inch vertical or, or many other really tremendous attributes that he had. A lot of scouts saw, hey, he's six foot eight. He's got a six foot eight wingspan. We're concerned that the blocks numbers, the defensive ability that he showed in college isn't going to translate to the NBA. So he fell. 
he fell and he fell and he fell in the NBA draft, a guy who was one of the top two or three, probably not even three top two productive players in all of college basketball. Uh, one of the most athletic guys to come out of the draft. He falls all the way to number 21 uh, in the NBA draft, gets drafted by Oklahoma City, traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Memphis snapped him up. Memphis has made a series of outstanding decisions uh, in the draft very recently. Desmond Bain was a huge one. Dylan Brooks was a big one. Of course, John Morant was a big one as well. They, they've had a ton of success acquiring players through the NBA draft. Brandon Clark was another outstanding acquisition for them. He was on the all-rookie team as a first-year player, 21st overall pick outside the lottery, 58 games as a rookie, four starts, 12 and a half points, or excuse me, 12.1 points, six rebounds. He shot just under 66% on two-pointers. So that efficiency that we saw from him in college, people thought, well, that's not going to translate in the NBA because their guys are going to be bigger, they're going to be stronger, et cetera, et cetera. Well, he went from shooting just over 70% on two-pointers to just under 66% on two-pointers. That's still pretty darn good, you guys. That's that's a pretty good uh, effective percentage for Brandon Clark in his rookie season. He also shot 36% from the three-point line as a rookie. This was on 64 attempts, so it is a very, very small sample size, but certainly pointing to a player who could be a three-level scorer who could impact the game outside of just scoring right around the rim. He came back in his sophomore year, or his second year, excuse me, and things changed. Uh, unfortunately, there there seemed to be a hitch that developed in Brandon Clark's shot. I don't know whether Memphis was messing around with his shot form, what exactly happened, but his productivity and efficiency dropped all across the board. Now, he still averaged 10.3 points, 5.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists. He still shot 56% on two-pointers, which is not bad, but it's also a 10% drop from what he did as a fr- as a rookie. Excuse me. And then he shot 26% on three-pointers, also a 10% drop. Not as surprising because his, his rookie year, that percentage was probably a little bit higher than we would have expected it to be, but still seeing him go from shooting 66% on twos and 36% on threes, seeing both those numbers come down by about 10% was definitely alarming, a little bit scary for Brandon Clark in year two. Uh, Beyond that, he fell out of the rotation pretty much entirely. By the time the playoffs rolled around, he just wasn't on the court. He wasn't playing for Memphis. There was a lot of discourse, a lot of conversation. Gonzaga fans were upset. Why is why did Memphis draft this guy if they're not going to play him? Why have they given up on him? Why, what did they do to his shot? What happened? Uh, and it was it was challenging. It was strange to see this player who who seemed so effortlessly, he, he, he had so effortlessly moved into the NBA in his first year, and then to see him start to struggle after that was was a bit of a challenge. Fortunately, Clark came back in year through three, and while his playing time dipped a little bit, it was his first time being under 20 minutes per game. He had the most productive year of his career, in part because instead of trying really hard to fix some of the things he wasn't very good at, he just focused on doing the things that he is really good at. Brandon Clark is really good at being a rim runner. He's really good at setting screens, rolling to the basket. His floater game is incredible. His ability to finish through contact around the rim, all of that is excellent. He's not a great outside shooter. He's not great at a couple other things on the basketball court, but he's really good at rolling to the rim and finishing around there. And so he just focused on doing that. And it worked. It worked. He averaged 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds. He was back up to shooting 66% on two-pointers. He only shot 23% from the three-point line, but again, we just didn't see very many attempts from him in that regard because it's not his game. It's not a strength of his. It's not a skill set of his. There's not really any reason to try to force him to do that if it's not something he's going to be good at. And in particular, when you look at what happened in his second year, it seems to impact his production in other ways as well. So, 
Clark looked awesome in his third season. Uh, throughout the year, he was kind of he was clearly the third big. Didn't play a ton again, under twenty minutes per night. We saw him really explode in the playoffs, though. First round matchup for the for the Memphis Grizzlies against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Ben Clark averaged sixteen and a half points, nine rebounds, and two point seven assists. He was an absolute machine for the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the playoffs. Got a lot of attention for that. Now he comes into year four. He is expected to be a high-level role player, the sixth man on this roster again. He's also in the final year of his rookie contract. That is the biggest talking point for Brandon Clark at this point. We're going to talk best-case scenario, worst-case scenario for Clark next season. We're going to talk about those things in the second segment while also discussing what a potential contract extension could look for him. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but college football and the NFL are just getting started and the MLB playoffs are right around the corner. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds contests and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. Still want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, as well as those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. We are so close to our goal of 1,000 subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. We still have over a month, but if you are listening to this and you have not done so yet, just go to the YouTube app on your phone, search for Locked On Zags, you'll see a big red subscribe button, hit that button, boom, you're done. You're helping me out. You're supporting Locked On Zags. You're joining an excellent community of dedicated Gonzaga fans on the YouTube channel. I really appreciate it. All right, we are talking Brandon Clark, best case, worst case scenarios for his fourth season in the NBA, his final season of his rookie contract. A big element of this upcoming season for Brandon Clark is the contract extension. Will Memphis offer him an extension before the season starts? Will they offer him one during the season? Are we going to see a situation where he enters free agency and potentially prices himself out of Memphis? All of that is a factor. I think the biggest thing that's happening to start this upcoming season for Brandon Clark is the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr., Memphis's starting power forward, the guy who's playing Brandon Clark's role, he's going to be out for a couple of months. He's got an injury. He's not going to be back right away for Clark. It makes sense to bet on himself to gamble on maybe not signing an extension right away and trying to prove his worth by being a starter for the first few months of the season. In a best case scenario for Brandon Clark, he steps into a starting role while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out and he plays the best basketball of his career. Plain and simple, that's the best case scenario for Brandon Clark. We saw glimpses of that last year. He averaged 16 and a half points and nine rebounds during a playoff series. That is what you could expect from Brandon Clark in a full-time role. Again, that's best-case scenario. Up to this point, he has not put up numbers like that for an extended period of time. The highest production he has put up for a full season is about 12 points and 6 rebounds per game, which is what he did as a rookie. But we've seen him do it. We've seen him be a 
reliable rim runner, a guy with a really solid floater around the rim, a tenacious rebounder, a good shot blocker. We have seen all of that. Best case scenario for an extended period of time over the first few months of the 22-23 season, Brandon Clark is that dude. He's averaging 16-9. and nine. He's averaging over a block and a half per game. He's scoring around the rim. He's playing the best defense of his career. He's, his, his relationship with Steven Adams, Memphis' starting center, is fantastic. Uh, ja Morant and him form a really great one-two punch, a rim-running combination. And he just looks like the best version of Brandon Clark that we have seen in the NBA. Other ways that this would happen, the three-point shooting either improves or goes away entirely. Either way. Either either way, I don't think that Brandon Clark needs a three-point shot in order to reach his quote-unquote best-case scenario. I think that Memphis has perhaps realized this is not necessarily an element of Clark's game that's going to show up, and it might make more sense for him to focus on doing what he does best. That's what we saw last year. He went away from trying to, to alter his jump shot, which had very negative impact on him in year two. He went away from that. He focused more on the things he's already good at. I think... The best case scenario for Clark in year four is that he continues to do that. I think the best place we'll see improvement for Brandon Clark may not show up in the stat sheet, but it's on the defensive end of the floor. The shot blocker that Brandon Clark was in college hasn't quite showed up in the NBA. That's not entirely surprising. As much as I kind of poo-pooed the conversation about Brandon Clark's wingspan, which was used to over to to lower his value too significantly in the NBA draft, he fell too far because of concerns about his wingspan. I firmly believe that. Having said that, it's not surprising that his block numbers are less than half what they were his senior or his final season at Gonzaga. That's not surprising to me. It's hard to be a rim protector in the NBA when you are 6'8". Even if you have a 41-inch vertical leap, even if you are one of the most athletic dudes in a league full of tremendous athletes like Brandon Clark is, that's a difficult thing to be. I don't think that Brandon Clark's, his ability to, to earn a significant bag financially, his ability to be the best version of himself, I don't think it hinges entirely on the shot blocking numbers. Like, I don't think that we're going to determine Clark's value as a Memphis Grizzlies player based on how many blocks per game he gets. I don't think that that's a significant driving factor, especially on a roster with Steven Adams, especially on a roster with Jaron Jackson Jr. Obviously, he's not healthy right now, but when he is healthy, he's a phenomenal shot blocker. I don't think Memphis necessarily needs him to be the 3.2 blocks per game guy that he was at Gonzaga, but in a best case scenario, he demonstrates more ability to do that. And his ability to be a defensive player away from the rim. This is critical for Brandon Clark. Clark is 6'8". He's built more like a slightly above average wing than a legitimate NBA big man. That hasn't really impacted him up to this point, but one thing that he needs to be able to do, and he has done well at this, this is not a weak point for him necessarily, but in a best case scenario, continued improvement on his defensive footwork, on his ability to hedge screens, on his ability to switch on to guards and capably keep them in front of him defensively. Those are things that are just mission critical for every single big man in the NBA. The reasons that Drew Timmy hasn't gotten a lot of attention as an NBA draft prospect, they're concerns for, for most modern bigs. You look at a guy like Luca Garza, who was a phenomenal player in college. That's part of the reason he hasn't stuck in the NBA is because of this ability to move laterally defensively, to, to be a guy who can capably guard NBA guards. It's really hard. It's really hard to do. Clark has the athleticism. 
He has the footwork. He has the defensive instincts to be very good at this. Best case scenario, he is. Best case scenario, the the Memphis Grizzlies don't significantly miss Jaron Jackson Jr. And I say significantly because there's not a situation where Clark just so fully replaces Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark's own production in a sense that they don't even notice that he's gone. It's not that's not it's not going to happen like that. Jaron Jackson Jr. is very very good and very critical to what Memphis wants to do as a team. Not having him for the first few months of the season is going to be hard, but in a best case scenario for Brandon Clark, he fills that role so admirably that when Jackson Jr. is back, the staff has some tough decisions to make. They got to figure out how are we going to play these guys together? Are we going to start Brandon Clark and bench Steven Adams? I'm not sure that that's a great option just because they wouldn't be able to do that against really big centers. Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark are both undersized. It's a small ball four and a smaller ball five. I'm not sure that that would work in a starting lineup situation, but perhaps in Clark's best case scenario, he plays so well while Jackson Jr. is out. When he returns, they, 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 he doesn't revert back to a 18, 20 minutes per game role. He's still playing a lot of minutes. Maybe Jackson Jr. plays some more of the three. Maybe Adams loses some playing time. Who knows? Maybe there's a trade. Maybe there's some, some roster movement that happens that clears up some space for him. But I think that a best case scenario for Brandon Clark is he does so well in that time period that the, he, he prices himself up significantly. Not signing an extension before the season is Brandon Clark betting on himself. And it's him betting on himself that I'm going to be productive while my teammate is out to the point where I'm going to earn myself more money. Best case scenario, that's clearly what happens. And he's going into the offseason, a high-level free agent, going to earn over $50 million, maybe even over $60 million. uh, And Memphis is going to have to really pull some strings in order to keep him around. Now, the worst case scenario for Brandon Clark is just that he doesn't really step up with Jackson Jr. out. Effectively... He's betting on himself by not signing an extension. He still could sign an extension before the season starts, which would make parts of these conversations a bit obsolete. But assuming he does not, he is betting on himself to be very productive during that time to the point where he's going to earn himself significant money. Worst case scenario is that just doesn't happen. He maybe his we see what we saw a little bit from him in his second year where his production from an efficiency standpoint drops off. He's not finishing as well around the rim. The outside shot isn't there. The defense is maybe not as polished as you'd like to see, especially from an older prospect entering his fourth NBA season. And when Jaron Jackson Jr. returns, Clark reverts back to a smaller role. And perhaps in an absolute worst case scenario, there's a few more minutes going to Xavier Tillman. There's a few more minutes going to Santi Aldama. There's a few more minutes going to Killian Tilly. Not a bad situation for Killian Tilly himself. Not a great situation for Brandon Clark. Worst case scenario for Brandon Clark is after Jaron Jackson Jr. returns, he is playing less than 20 minutes per game, less than 18 minutes per game. The outside shot isn't there. The finishing around the rim isn't there. We don't see those improvements defensively. He's third, maybe even fourth on the depth chart, or at least much closer to fourth than he is second on the depth chart. And he's heading into the free agency without a significant amount of value. Brandon Clark's going to be 27 years old when free agency rolls around. That's not old, but it's also not that young either. He's going to be one of the oldest players coming off of his rookie contract because he was one of the oldest players who was drafted in that draft class. That's part of the reason that his value kind of fell a little bit. And the worst case scenario for Brandon Clark is as he enters free agency, it doesn't seem like he has an obvious spot to return in Memphis. And while teams are always looking for athletic rim-running bigs like Brandon Clark, maybe the the market isn't 
as intense as we would have hoped for. Maybe instead of a contract in the four-year, $50 million range, maybe he's looking at something like 332 two or three year contract, maybe to rebuild some value to try again when he turns 30. Worst case scenario is he's going to have to settle for a contract that while it's still going to be better than his rookie contract, it's maybe not maximizing the value that he could have gotten had he taken more advantage of getting that starting role while Jaron Jackson Jr. was hurt. All right, in the third and final segment, we are going to take a look at Brandon Clark's likely role next season and, of course, explore a little bit more what an extension might look like for the 26-year-old right after this. All right, segment three, still in Manhattan, still locked on Zags, still talking Memphis Grizzlies forward Brandon Clark as he enters his fourth and final season of his rookie contract. We're going to talk expected role in production here in year four for Clark. We touched on those best and worst case scenarios and what that might look like. Obviously, as it always is when we do best and worst case scenarios, the expected role probably somewhere in the middle. Now, I think it's pretty clear that Brandon Clark is going to start for the Memphis Grizzlies to begin the 22-23 season while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. He is the clear-cut option to start at the four alongside Steven Adams, alongside Dylan Brooks at the three. I think that that makes the most sense for his role, and I think he's going to be productive, and I think we're going to see Brandon Clark playing the best basketball of his career at that moment. We saw it last year in that Minnesota series, 16-9. and Is he going to average that for the first few months of the season? Maybe not exactly, but I also don't think that's crazy. He did it for an entire playoff series against a a good team. The Minnesota Timberwolves are not the greatest team in the NBA, but they are a good, solid team. And Brandon Clark put up really productive numbers against them across a five or six game sample. That's fantastic. I think he's going to play 25 minutes per night. And I think looking closer to what his rookie year numbers were, he averaged about 12 and six. I think... Somewhere between the 12 and 6 he put up as a rookie and the 16 and 9 that he put up last year in the playoff series, I think that's a reasonable place to start. So we'll go 14 and 7. Go 14 and 7. Those are if he puts up that production while starting at power forward and playing 25-ish minutes per night while Jackson Jr. is out, that's gonna make him really appealing, really lucrative. It's going to make teams really interested in what his potential free agency might look like. Teams are going to evaluate him as, hey, this is not just a guy who can come off the bench for us and play 12 to 15 minutes per night. This is a guy who we could start. This is a guy we could play 25 to 30 minutes per night. This is a guy that we could legitimately rely on if we needed to. And and Memphis is a playoff team. You know, this is not like, oh, he could start for Indiana, but he's not going to start for a good team. No, this dude, he, he, if he does this, If he starts and plays productively for a good Grizzlies team while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out, that's going to make him an appealing potential starter for every team in the NBA. He wouldn't start for every team necessarily, but he's going to start for a lot of them. And when you have that kind of market value, your impending free agency becomes a lot more appealing to other teams. Suddenly the $50, $60 million that you're looking for becomes a lot more attainable. Now, Clark's going to need to keep up that efficiency. If he puts up 14 and 7, but the two-point percentage drops, the three-point percentage isn't there, the free throws drop, he's not as productive, he's missing more shots, he's turning the ball over. If all of that stuff happens, like there needs to be some, some nuance, some context. Uh, a few more points, a few more rebounds per game is kind of expected with an increased, with, with more minutes. 
but he needs to be able to stay efficient, stay productive, make an impact defensively. I don't doubt that he's capable of doing all of that stuff, but it's more than just, hey, he's scoring a few more points per game because he's playing more. There needs to be a little bit more to it than that. And then, of course, there's the fact that Jackson Jr. is probably not going to be out for the entire year. Of course, you never know. Injuries can linger. They can last. Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, But if he returns in a couple of months, then we got to see what happens to Clark. I ultimately think Brandon Clark will probably step back into more of a role reminiscent of what he had last year. 19.5 points per game, 10 points, 5 boards. I think that's probably what his role is going to look like when Jackson Jr. is back and healthy. Of course, there are a ton of factors here. Is Steven Adams still healthy? Is he still productive? What happens with you know everybody else on the roster? It's going to be, a, are there trades? Are there anything else that happens? So it's hard to make all these full predictions. That's what makes watching basketball fun is that things change and alter and things are different as the year goes on. But I think ultimately an expectation of Clark to, to put up good numbers, better numbers than he's put up throughout his career while Jackson Jr. is sidelined, and then to revert back to being a still solid 10-5, and 20-minute-per-game type guy while coming off the bench. If he's able to do that for a full season while still being an efficient scorer around the rim, the floater game is still going to be exceptional. The outside shot is not really a factor. The defense continues to be a strong point for him. If all of that can happen, the Memphis Grizzlies are going to have to really pull out the bag in order to keep him around. If the Memphis Grizzlies want to keep him, 450 is probably what we're going to end up at. Four years, $50 million. This is a contract that Wendell Carter got last offseason. It seems like the closest comparison for where Clark is going to be. Uh, I think the baseline for what they're going to talk about is the contract that former Oregon Duck Chris Boucher, who plays for the Toronto Raptors, he signed for three three years and $35.2 million. Marvin Bagley III signed for three years, $37.5 million. Brandon Clark is better than both of those guys. He's a more productive offensive player. He's a better defensive player. He's going to deserve more money than that. If that's the case, adding a fourth year, getting that security for, for Clark, that gives him all the way through age 31. I think that that's a significant factor for him to get a contract that pays you up into kind of the the right past your peak in theory for most NBA players kind of start peaking or start falling off their peak in their early thirties. You kind of want your contract to run through that period of time Uh, for him. If he can get that fourth year, if he can get, you know, 16, $17 million a year, that's tremendous. I, I think that that's deserved. I think that Memphis should be willing to pay that if they have the ability to do so. And I think if they don't, somebody else will. If Brandon Clark puts up 14 and 7 or 16 and 9 or somewhere in that ballpark as a starter for a playoff caliber Memphis Grizzlies team, even if it's only for a few months, somebody's going to pay him $50 million. I can almost guarantee you that somebody will pay him $50 million. Whether it's Memphis or not is hard to say. If Memphis feels pretty confident in the development of Xavier Tillman or of Killian Tilly or of Santi Altima, perhaps they choose to go another direction. Of course, Memphis could also look at David Roddy or Kyle Lofton or some of the other younger guys that they signed this last season or they drafted or they signed as free agents. If they feel like Clark is not somebody that they need going forward or they don't need at $50 million, I could see them opting to go elsewhere. But I I have a hard time imagining that Brandon Clark's not going to be highly sought after unless things go significantly awry this upcoming season. He's 26 years old. He's a high-level athlete. He has had success in the NBA. He's put up highly productive numbers in a bench role, in a starting role, in the playoffs, in the regular season. He's done a little bit of everything. 
And for me, that is enough that he's, he's going to get paid. He's going to make his money. It may not be in Memphis. Memphis has may continue to try their luck with drafting and developing young bigs, which they've been very, very good at throughout their, their tenure in the last couple of years. So I could see them continuing to try to gamble on that. Uh, and if they do that and they decide to let Clark go, he's going to be a very rich man and a very, very successful basketball player wherever he ends up. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out my written content at scorezagscore.com. we got one more very fun episode coming your way on Friday with a fun guest. Check that one out wherever you already get your podcast. You can also check it out on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.